Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 17:11 through 17, 10 healed of leprosy. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. In this series on rediscovering Jesus, we're now encountering a very short, very simple, very profound story. Some of the stories we've encountered have been a little more lengthy. This one is right to the point. Jesus is traveling. You know, he did that a lot. He went from place to place. And on this particular occasion, he's traveling along what appears to be the northern border of Samaria and Galilee. A little background information on where he was. You know, of course, if you know your biblical geography or history at all at the time of Jesus in Palestine, that that narrow strip of land that we call Israel had a section pretty much in the middle of it called Samaria. And in that middle section called Samaria that divided basically the north from the south, you had a group of people who lived and they were Samaritans. For the most part, the people who lived there were people who were, shall we say, of mixed race. Um, When the Babylonian captivity happened many, many years earlier and the Assyrians invaded the area, some Jewish people were left behind and they mixed in marriage with the Assyrians. Those of pure blood Jewish descent always looked down at the Samaritans always considered them to be second-class citizens. And they were alienated in a variety of different ways, but the Samaritans themselves decided that their religion, which had its birth in the same place that Judaism did, was different, and they had certain rules and regulations and certain sections of the Bible they considered to be inspired and others not. And they had a certain place they worshipped on Mount Gerizim. Now, having said that about the background, Jesus is on the border, the northern border of Galilee. And it appears that he's walking down the border, maybe up the border. It kind of slants a little bit. We're not sure why he's actually right on that border line. But the border line was a place, apparently, where you would have any number of Samaritans and Jews interacting. Not, for instance, the same kind of atmosphere that you would find in the far north or the far south. So Samaritans and Jews were interacting at a very, well, shall we say, not very intimate level. They might have been in the same area, but they didn't associate with one another. 
And for whatever reason, Jesus is in this border town community, and he stops by a particular town. And when he stops by that particular town and is about to enter it, there are ten lepers that he encounters, or should I say, they encounter him. And they stand at a distance and they cry out to him, Lord, Master, have pity or have mercy upon us. That's the setting. Now, the other part of the setting is this. They're lepers. And you know that leprosy was a dreaded disease in the Middle East in the first century. Actually, it could have referred to a wide variety of skin diseases, some of which wouldn't have been contagious at all. And some of which would not have been so severe if we'd had medical technology. For instance, in that category might have been the skin condition called psoriasis, which is easily treatable today. But no matter what the disease, the skin disease, all of it was named leprosy. And as I say, not all of it was contagious. Some of the more severe forms of leprosy, though they did not understand the stages and the kinds of leprosy that were there, some of the more severe forms of leprosy would actually attack the nervous system to such an extent that the leopard did not feel pain and would scratch himself or cut himself or do any number of things that would be of bodily harm to himself or herself. And, and because the nerve endings were dulled, infection would take place and care wasn't given to the body properly. And before long, you hear those stories of lepers who had parts of their extremities missing. All of that probably because... The nerve endings were gone and the disease advanced rapidly because of infection. No matter, whatever your condition of leprosy, it was clear that your situation was different than everyone else's. Your disease put you outside the circle. Such that you had to leave your community, you had to leave your family, you had to leave everyone and live a life of isolation. Completely outside the realm of normal, healthy people. And this was their case. These ten lepers, outside the circle of their friends, their neighbors, and their family, were living together. There were a variety of leper colonies because lepers would live with one another. They couldn't live with anyone else. And in those colonies, there was, well, shall we say, a community of care of sorts. And in those colonies, because of a similar plight, nationality didn't matter. If you were a dreaded Samaritan or a hated Jew, and you were a leper, well, there was a common playing field. You were isolated from society. And this was your only community. I say that to give the background for at least one of the lepers being Samaritan. And yet traveling with the others who were likely Jewish. Isn't it interesting how a common plight often levels the playing ground? People who are otherwise enemies don't have time to fight when in fact they face the same enemy, which is not themselves. I've read that, um, never seen this happen, but I've read that uh, on many occasions when a natural disaster 
is about to strike or one does strike like a flood or a tsunami, animals will run away from the impending doom and frequently find themselves at, let's say, the top of a plain or a hill for protection. And among those animals, there are predators of the animals that are side by side with those they otherwise would kill and eat. But under those circumstances, the animals have a common enemy and they wait, shall we say, in peace. This is the situation for the Samaritan among the other lepers. The common plight has alienated them from society and they wait together in peace. What are they waiting for? (laughs) One of two things. They're waiting for healing or for death. Those were the only two options. Healing or eventually death. Nationality is unimportant. You'll notice that the story reads like this. They call out to Jesus and they call out at a distance. Some people say that, we don't know for sure the exact rules, but some people say that if the wind was coming from the back of the leper colony or from the lepers who were walking, they had to stay 50 yards away from those who were clean and shout out unclean to anybody who approached. So perhaps at a distance of 50 yards or more, they shout out to Jesus, we're unclean, we're unclean, but Jesus, Master, please have pity on us. And Jesus just speaks a word. And he says to them, I want you to go to the priest to present yourself. Why would he say this? Because in the Old Testament, um, unlike today, uh, the priest was a little bit of everything. And among the many things that he was, is he was one who would examine like a doctor would examine a patient. So if you had leprosy and things were getting worse or things were getting better, you were always sent to the priest and the priest had a way of examining your skin and deciding whether or not you should be outside the community or inside the community. And if you experienced healing of one sort or another, you had to basically go prove it to the priest. And if the priest looked at your skin and said, yes, indeed, you're experiencing healing, then you could be back inside the community. So Jesus says to them, when they cry out for pity, he says to them, go to the priest and present yourself. And the text says, as they turned to go to the priest to present themselves, they were all healed as they went. We don't know how far as they went indicates, except to say that one, when he turned to go to the priest and on the way realized he was healed. Imagine what it would be like. It's clear you have leprosy. It's all over your skin. And as you walk, you realize it's going away or it's gone. What would you do? Nine of them just followed Jesus' order to go to the priest. They just kept walking. I, I just wonder what was going through their heads. Were they thinking if I turn around it a reverse course? Were they worried that if they didn't do what Jesus said right then, it wouldn't really take? Or were they so overwhelmed with themselves and their condition that all they could think about 
was of themselves. The text seems to indicate something like that, doesn't it? Because the text says, one of them turned and came back to Jesus and fell at his feet and gave him thanks and praise. And Jesus, seeming to give us an answer to our question concerning the others, said, where are the nine? Is this the only one who had the gratitude to return? Whatever their condition, whatever motivated them to continue on towards the priest, at least, Jesus says, they should have returned and given thanks. Don't you think? And then he addresses that one leper who returns and says, Go, your faith has made you whole, or you've been healed by your faith. Notice there's uh, two groups of people here, right? Apparently, and we're, we're kind of filling in the gaps, but it's a good assumption. Nine of them were insiders. Jesus only points out one who was a Samaritan and calls him a foreigner as if that one right there is the only foreigner in the group and look what happened to him. Perhaps there were others, but we're not sure. It's probably a safe assumption to assume that nine of them were purely of the nation of Israel. Just as Jesus was. And those insiders who turned away to go to the priest. What was their attitude? Among other things, perhaps, their attitude was entitlement. Now, let me add something. In a story like this, apart from the central point that Jesus makes that they should have returned, we have to admit we conjecture, right? We conjecture. What we know for sure is it was appropriate, Jesus says, for them to have returned and given thanks. And now we ask, what did that ingratitude demonstrate in their lives? Maybe. Maybe they thought to themselves, I don't deserve this leprosy. Or let me put it in other uh, terms that you will understand. If God is a good God, why would He let this happen to me? Have you heard that before? Has that been the words on your lips? If anybody, if I took a poll and anybody didn't raise their hand, they should leave. Okay? Because you know you have. You know you've been right there. Why did God let this happen to me or to my family? Implication, I don't deserve this. Maybe, oh, this is hideous. Maybe somebody else does, but I don't. Perhaps that was part of the manifestation of their ingratitude. They're insiders, and they expect that Jesus is supposed to heal them. You know, it's clear that they knew who he was. They'd heard of him in some way. They called out to him. They knew something about the stories. They said, Jesus, Master, help us. And maybe in their minds, Jesus was just supposed to. That's what he does, isn't it? He's a healer. Why shouldn't I expect that? I'll just go on to the priest. 
Perhaps, perhaps I say, that was the attitude of the outsider, certainly demonstrated in ingratitude. What was the, out, the attitude of the uh, outsider? This is utterly clear. The attitude of the outsider was, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why? Is it possible that the attitude of the outsider was cultivated because of what he had already experienced all his life? The outsider knew alienation. The outsider knew scorn. The outsider knew everything that was associated with leprosy without being a leper. Remember that story of Jesus with the woman at the well? She says to him, what? You're asking me to get water? You guys don't even drink from our cup. That was their plight. It was the plight of this man. He didn't need leprosy to feel like he was an outsider. He knew he was an outsider. He'd experienced it all his life. So this outsider, already understanding alienation and prejudice in his own life, perhaps is more inclined to be grateful. He's surrounded by people who despise him to the north and to the south. And he understands what it means to find grace. I, um, I filled in the gaps on a few things. You can fill them in yourself. As it relates to the story. But let me conclude as we always do, which is to ask questions about this story and us. And here we go for some application. I want you to notice something right up front. Here it is. Jesus notices gratitude. He makes a note of it immediately. Let's put it another way. Jesus expects gratitude. What does that say about our lives? And our relationship with our Lord. He expects a grateful, thankful spirit. A praise-oriented life. It's just proper. Second thing uh, I want you to notice is this. When the Samaritan returned to Jesus, he got more than just healing. Some suggest, and I'm not sure this is exactly true, but some suggest that when he returned to Jesus and Jesus spoke to him concerning his healing, he was speaking to him about something other than his physical healing. You see, the others had already been healed. It may be that Jesus is saying in very, well, shall we say, surreptitious words, covert words, your faith has healed you. In other words, faith heals. It is faith that gives salvation. You came seeking a skin disease to disappear. Your faith has healed you in a much deeper way than you even anticipated. Now you may say, well, you're reading something into the text to find that. 
granted you are. On the other hand, you're not reading it into the text when you realize that only the one who returned had a personal encounter with Jesus. The rest simply walked away. The only one of the ten that Jesus personally spoke into his life was the one who returned with gratitude. You know, um, isn't it true that if we get what we want from Jesus and then walk away, we haven't truly gotten what we've needed? Jesus, just heal me. Jesus, just take care of my stuff. Jesus, just fix this problem for me. And then we walk away. What we want is not always what we need. And when the Samaritan returned, he got more than he thought he needed. He got what he truly needed. A word from Jesus. You know what's uh, true of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude? (laughs) It opens up our eyes. It's one of those remarkable exercises that produces the activity that we initiate. When we initiate gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise, it produces gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise. When we give thanks to God just because we should, we begin to have our eyes open to all the things that God has blessed us with. The activity of thanksgiving produces thanksgiving. The activity of praise produces praise. It's like self-regenerating when you praise. I found that to be true, haven't you, in your own life? When you exercise this shall we call it a spiritual discipline of giving thanks? Your eyes are open to so many things that you ought also to be thankful for. I wonder um, in particular about us. I'm talking about us right here in this church. And I wonder sometimes if because we're such a cerebral bunch, right? We think a lot. Because we're like that, don't you think it's possible for us to analyze and to think and prepare and try to get it all right up here and it just seems like it stays right up here in the brain and never somehow enters the heart? Now, I don't want to suggest, I hope this is not true, that when I try to preach the Word, we don't respond with thanksgiving and gratitude. I hope that's not true. But on the other hand, on the other hand, I want to acknowledge something that you know. You know very well. That the gateway routinely to thanksgiving and praise comes through praising God in music. Every once in a while, every once in a while, our one of our wonderful musicians, Marietta, plays a song and chides us for not being 
grateful. For not expressing our praise the way she thinks we ought to. Now, there are occasions where, you know, you might say, oh, stop it now. I'm, I'm worshiping my own way, which is I don't want to be bothered. I got my way of doing it, and it's very subdued. I understand that. I don't want to be told what to do in worship either. On the other hand, I need to be instructed to have a praise-worthy grateful heart and one of the best places to exercise shall we say the spiritual gene of praise is through music in this cerebral community i'm with you right you know that let's not forget to praise in this place that's not exactly charismatic let's not forget to praise god with every vocal cord we have, with every word we have, with our life, let's praise God. Because there's so much to praise Him for. You know, uh, the title of my sermon, which nobody ever pays attention to, was Gratitude (laughs) and Salvation are Inseparable. Can I qualify that? I did it on purpose. Gratitude and salvation ought to be inseparable. Don't you think? Maybe they both are and ought to be. But if you ever get the tiniest glimpse of what redemption through Jesus Christ means, how can you help but sing His praises? How can you just keep walking to the priest? How can you not turn back to Jesus and give thanks? Whatever we do here, my friends, let's not stop giving thanks. I think as a matter of fact, we're going to end that way with the song that reminds us to give thanks with a grateful heart. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're so grateful for... um, all the many blessings that you've given us, but we we pause uh, to remind ourselves collectively that um, we don't always praise you enough. We sometimes are just kind of provunctory. We just do things, but our hearts are not in it. And we, we repent of that, Lord. Give us grateful hearts. We also remind ourselves, Lord, collectively, that we don't even know all your rich blessings. We can name them one by one, and when we're done, our list is still incomplete because you're such a good God. And Lord, we also remind ourselves collectively that we're not entitled to your grace. We're not entitled to your healing. We are lepers all who ought to be at your feet thanking you for what you've done and boldly asking you to continue to bless us and then living lives of thanksgiving and praise. May that be our everyday song. Oh Lord, we pray. Amen.